0: And listen, he may be a lion, but he's a lion on a leash and Jesus holds the leash. And so whenever he decides to pull Satan back, there's nothing Satan can do. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. I would convince the young that marriage is old fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Paul Harvey originally wrote those words 52 years ago and how touching they are to us today. You know, as we look around us, we realize that there's something wrong in the world and we inhabit. There's something that's off. We can see that even as technology has advanced and we are producing more food than ever in the history of the world, we still have millions of people going to bed hungry each night in our country and outside of our country. We have people dying of diseases for which there were cures hundreds of years ago. We have warfare and strife and famine, and even as we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we still have murders in the streets. We have gangs teaching our children things which are not true. And we have division, even among our political parties. Something is off, and it's hard for us to figure out exactly what it is there's something that's not right and evolution would tell us that the world is gradually getting better that man is somehow evolving but the second law of thermodynamics entropy seems to indicate otherwise that if you leave men and women to themselves that if you leave an environment to itself Chaos is always going to be the result. And we believe that when we talk about survival of the fittest and when we talk about natural selection, there's a a hint of truth of what Darwin is getting at. He's just off in where he's aiming. What he's talking about is the fall of man. What he's talking about is when Adam fails to listen to the voice of God and instead listens to the voice of the serpent, he becomes, instead of a protector, a predator, he goes from having dominion to pursuing domestic violence, murder, a curse from his children. And the world that was once here is drastically, horrifically off. And we recognize that even those who don't believe in God would say that some notion of morality has to exist. That's why in every country in the world, there's laws against stealing. There's laws against capital punishment. And if you're put under oath, there's laws against bearing false witness. They would say those are the laws of nature. We would say those are the laws of nature's God, that something's broken, and thus you have to have these laws in place, is what John Milton described in his famous poem, Paradise Lost. But here's the bigger question If God created everything that is, and we believe He did, we believe that He spoke the universe into existence, ex nihilo, something comes from God's voice, out of nothing He does this, then where does the problem of evil come from? Because if God creates everything and Eve is tempted in the garden by the voice of the serpent we believe to be inhabited by Satan, something apparently predates the fall. There's a fall before the fall, if you will. So if God is the creator of all things, why did one of his created beings rebel? How did he who's referred to Lucifer fall? Take a look, if you would, at Isaiah 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and beginning in verse 12, and then we're going to skip to Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. These will be on the screens as well. There's a little bit of controversy as to whom these passages are referencing. Scholars tend to debate that they're maybe referencing earthly kings at the time period, but I think there's unmistakable parallels to what the Scripture seems to be describing as going on in the heavenly places. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12 How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home, All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stories, to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. And then flip over to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And we begin reading there as well in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created they were prepared you were an anointed guardian cherub i placed you you were on the holy mountain of god in the midst of the stones of fire you walked you were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you in the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned As I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire, Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst and it consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Pride's what brought him down. It's the root inherent of all evil. I shall be as God. I shall take the place of God. I shall listen to my own voice rather than to the voice of God. I shall do what I want to do rather than what God has called me to do. Apparently, at a time in history, before the fall of man, Satan is a guardian cherub. And he's one who knew the ways of God. In fact, is Satan not always in the New Testament quoting the scripture to people of faith? He knows the Bible better than you do. He's just not submitted to it. And he doesn't come with a cape and horns and a tail. He comes instead dressed as an angel of light when he is in fact the prince of darkness. And he comes at your weakest point point. he knows exactly where it is. So somewhere along the line, he shows up in the garden disguised as the serpent and knows exactly how to tempt Eve. Eve commits sin along with Adam, who instead of protecting her, gives in to the desire of sin, and God banishes them from the garden. But before he does so, he says to the serpent that there is coming a day when the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. But before that can happen, he will bruise your heel. That promise has been given. And the enemy is working his enmity ever since. And so at one point in the book of Job, it's in the middle of the Old Testament, but we find that Job is actually probably written maybe at the time of Abraham or even before that. It's one of the first written books. But the Bible tells us that there is someone known as the Satan walking to and fro upon the earth. And God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And he responds by saying, he only serves you because of the stuff he's got. Take it away and see what he does. And the Bible says that in the midst of all this, Job does not sin, with his lips. There are other passages that describe this battle waging. Michael the archangel is fighting against the devil and his demonic host. And every time Satan takes on Michael, he always loses to Michael. He's always defeated because Michael has the power of God that Satan does not have. It comes about in the New Testament, too, with the temptations of Christ. So Jesus is sent by the Spirit out into the wilderness to experience the temptations of Christ. Command these stones to be made bread. Throw yourself down off this temple. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you the world. And each time Jesus says scripture, Man shall not live by bread alone. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He is the only one we should worship. He is the only one we should serve. And Satan leaves Christ having failed to tempt him in the same way that he tempted Adam and Eve he was not successful Christ defeated him and at the cross we notice something else is happening don't we? we we see the the ground shaking we see the curtain veil rent in two and revelation seems to indicate in Revelation chapter 12 that there's something about Satan being thrown out of heaven at that result Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1 this is on the screen a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which he is to be nourished for 1260 days. Look at this in verse seven. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea." There's a lot of interpretive elements here in Revelation, but we know pretty certainly that the child that John is referring to has to be Jesus because he's the one who will later rule with a rod of iron. He's the one who has dominion. And so you remember Herod trying to kill him at the birth and slaughtering the firstborn in Bethlehem, those who were two years old and younger. You remember Satan coming after Christ, but something has happened along the way that Satan either anticipated or he thought he could thwart. because when Jesus goes to the cross, for you and me there is a curse lifted and a veil broken beforehand Satan is able to come before God because of the curse because of human sin and he is able to accuse every last one of us he's known as the accuser but when Jesus dies on that cross and he rises again on the third day the Bible says that Satan can't go before the throne like he used to because whenever he tries to come as an accuser Jesus comes in the place as an advocate and when God hears the case of Jesus when he says I died for that person I gave myself for that person God in his gavel of eternity slams it down and says the case is dismissed and so no longer can Satan accuse you before the throne so he accuses you before the world And now persecution is taking place as a result of all of this. He's lost his place of privilege. He's been cast down to the earth and to the sea. We know that one day he will end up in hell, but he's not in hell right now. A third of those angels going down, stars typically symbolize angels in Revelation. God cast them into judgment. And now John is declaring something here. He's not saying that Satan will be defeated one day. He said he's already been defeated. This isn't dualism here. This isn't good versus evil and hopefully good will triumph in the end. No, no. God has already won. Satan's time is coming. He just doesn't know it. You know, if you've ever cut off, and we get graphic here, you've ever cut off the head of a, of a chicken or the, or the head of a snake. I've never done that. You all know that, but I've heard about it. I've seen it done on TV. And, and if, you, if, you see this, if you see this happen, what is the reaction of the chicken? What's the reaction of the snake? Does the rest of the body just fall limp? What does it do? There's a point where they don't know that their head's been cut off and so a snake can still slither and a chicken can still move. And the Bible says that's exactly what's going on with Satan. Jesus has stepped on his head. He's crushed it. He's been beat. He just don't know it yet. And so in the meantime, what he is trying to do is accuse the people of God to the outside world. And that's where persecution is coming. He loses his voice as the accuser through the victory of the advocate. He accuses now the saints, not before God, but before the world. And in the meantime, he's walking about as a roaring lion, seeking, those whom he may devour and listen he may be a lion but he's a lion on a leash and jesus holds the leash and so whenever he decides to pull satan back there's nothing satan can do and his goal is to deceive the nations and we have to give him credit he's really good at it but his only real threat to you is to cause you to sin Scripture says in all these things, Job sinned not with his lips. And this is the strategy. You've got two enemies in this world. You've got sin and Satan. And sin is the greater enemy because that's what Satan's trying to get you to do. He knows that sin is the only thing that can separate you from God. And so that's what he keeps throwing at you. He comes at you in your weakest places. And the Bible says when you begin to give into temptation, what you do is Ephesians 4 27, you give a foothold, you give a place to the devil. Somebody said the devil is as this rabid dog, so to speak. And, and he He's got his territory, um, but it's held in place. I had a really good note on that. There it is. The devil is like a mad dog that's chained up. He's powerless to harm us when we're outside his reach. But once we enter his circle, we expose ourselves again to injury or harm. So if the only thing that will condemn us on the day of judgment is unforgiven sin, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to catch us at a time when our faith is not firm, when we're vulnerable. And so here's some fiery darts that he likes to throw at you. Listen to these. This is from Sinclair Ferguson. The first dart, God is against you. He's not really for you. And if he can get you to doubt the goodness of God, if he can make you bitter against the church or people in the church, so much so that your relationship with God is lost and he's won. Dart number two is accusation. He can bring in past sins, past guilt, does that a lot. What do you have to say about that? He says there's payback coming, that's dart number three. You'll have to pay for that one day. How will you defend yourself then? And and then he just comes at us with another dart when he says, look at your past, look what you've done. How in the world can you be of any use to God? What are you gonna say when it happens again? See, really, if you think about it, it makes sense that the very thing that Satan wants to destroy is the very thing that will defeat him. That is your faith. And so you have to guard your faith. God is seeking to place your faith in him alone, and Satan is seeking to place your faith in anything and everything but God alone. That's why Peter says, resist him, be firm in the faith. It's also why Paul says that the shield of faith can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I can't tell you how many promising believers who have served the Lord have been sidelined because somewhere along the way, they took their eyes off of God and put it on themselves and put it on their circumstances. And so somebody in the church didn't do them right, and that made them drop out of church. They were discouraged about something, and Satan threw it in their face, and they just dropped off. And now they're living, they're existing. Maybe they still believe in God, but they're not being used. Because they took their eyes off of Jesus. Satan gets the victory in that. The only way to thwart the devil is to strengthen the very thing that he's trying most to destroy, and that is your faith. And so what do we do in the meantime? Well, I think, first of all, we have to form an army of resistance. We have to fight. The law of physical strength is the same law for spiritual strength. If you have a muscle and you don't exercise it, you don't use it, what happens? You lose it. Well, every time that you face temptation with, Christ, with Satan and you don't give in to that temptation, you look to Jesus, instead you're exercising spiritual strength. Every time you give in, you lose that. And so he says you've got to build yourself up in, in, in the faith. That's what sin does. It's progressive. Psalm 1, first you're walking in it, then you're standing in it, then you're seated in it, seated in it. And so you have to fight. This is not passive. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it and give in every time you feel like giving in. You have to fight the good fight of faith. You have to resist. This is a war. And then I think the second plank of our army is faithfulness. Jesus says, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee the crown of life. And you know something? You don't have to fear death if you've already died to self. Satan can take your life on this earth if God allows him, but he cannot take your life with God. Never can, never will. And this is the way they overcame him. Revelation tells us they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so every time you share the gospel with someone, every time you remind them of what God has done in your life, even if they don't believe, Satan trembles. He fears because he hears the voice of Jesus, having loved not their lives to death. And here's the great thing about gathering together for worship. Every time the church gathers together, we are declaring war against Satan and all his demons. This is a fight to the end. So we have to be faithful. We have to be resistful. And then we have to be vigilant. He says to watch and to warn, to warn others to flee from the wrath to come. Ezekiel describes this as being a watchman in the night. Pulpit being a watchtower to see that we are seeking after the Lord. And you may say this morning, well, I I just struggle with the same sins over and over again. Satan knows exactly where to hit me. He does. Satan knows your weakness. But so does Jesus. And he died for it. And you know, the devil accuses you, knows your name, and accuses you of your sin, but Jesus knows your sin and he calls you by your name. And he says that for those who trust in Christ, it has been overcome, it has been laid aside, and now he's calling us to bring as many people to victory as possible. And so we fight the good fight, we resist the devil and we recognize the reality of spiritual warfare. We ask God to open our eyes in the middle of all of this. And I love how William Gurnall ends this. This is what he says, God is watching Satan's every move and he won't let him have the final victory. When God says, stay, Satan must stand like a dog by the table while the saints feast on God's comfort. He does not dare to snatch even a tidbit for the master's eye is always upon him and so it is. Our master's eye is ever upon him. After his first act of obedience, his failure and doom were sealed. Satan's kingdom's coming down, and there's nothing he can do about it. And I look forward to rejoicing on the day when it's over. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.